Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce Scott Oak of Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Thanks so much, Scott, for taking the time and coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I hope you've been having a great summer. I have been, yes. Uh, it's gone by quickly, and the countdown is on to the start of training camp and then the season, and uh, we'll try it again and see if uh, we can get it right. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Um, I want to ask you just a bit about your career. And on this show, we we asked journalists about how they got started, what they love about their their job and their career. But I read a little bit that you were at pre-med at, at Memorial University in Newfoundland, and then you you started volunteering at a local radio station. Just what about that experience kind of drew you into to broadcasting and journalism? And, and how did you fall in love with it? Um, I had always followed my older brother, uh, Bruce, and passed away at the age of 33, but uh, into everything he did. And uh, he uh, started hanging out at the University of Radio Station on the Memorial Campus in St. John's, Newfoundland. So I followed in there, uh, started uh, doing sports casts, and uh, I pretty soon fell in love with the sound of my own voice and um, quite enjoyed uh the whole business of, of, of broadcasting and someone said, I think after a year of uh, hanging out there that I should apply for a summer relief job at CBC Newfoundland mm-hmm. sportscaster's job. And I did, and I didn't hear anything for two or three weeks. And so I, I phoned over and the guy who answered the phone, his name was Ted Withers, legendary Newfoundland sportscaster, uh, long since passed away. But this is what he said to me. He said, as a matter of fact, you're the only person to apply. So come in and start on Monday. <laughs> thereby proving the only way for me to get a job was if no one else applied. <laughs> uh, I did that summer relief job for a couple of years, and uh, at which point one of the guys, there was two full-time sportscasters, and one of them quit to go to law school. Hmm. And so I applied for the full-time job, and don't ask me how I got it, because at the time I spoke faster than the speed of light, and I thought I knew everything, and if I had to, I could get it all out in one long sentence. But somehow... Hmm. I got the full-time job and uh, my father was, uh, he was upset because he, he came from a working class background and all he and most people of his generation wanted was for their kids to do better than, than mm-hmm. uh, they had done. And for him that entailed university education. Um, so he was aghast that I was going to forego my university degree um i was taking as it says pre-med but it was basically science courses so anyway i it, i was two or three years into it took this full-time job and and uh, he wasn't very happy and he asked me pretty much every month until he died about uh, eight or nine years ago uh when i was going to go back to school to university and get my degree so i'd have something to fall back on when when uh hockey night in canada cbc and and uh, as it now stands rogers figured out i was no good uh, so I used to tell him, hey, it's a little bit too late for that now. And uh, I'm still fooling him, although uh, I worry sometimes they're going to catch up to me. <laughs> anyway, that's how I got the job. And, so it's uh, a- I, about it. I like uh, I like covering the games. I like uh, doing our post-game show. Um, I'm really fortunate to have uh, the job and the career that I've had. And just tell us a little bit about kind of going from, from CBC and, and Newfoundland to to going all the way to hockey, uh, hockey night in Canada. I know you worked in, in uh, Winnipeg just for local, locally. Um, just tell us a bit about your career journey to, to get to hockey night in Canada. 
Well, I worked at uh, CBC Newfoundland for only about a year, a year and a half. Uh, then I got a call from uh, the program director in Toronto to ask me if I wanted to work there. And I did for about uh, two or three months. Um, Toronto was too big for me. It was just too much of a culture shock to go from St. John's Newfoundland to Toronto. But I was fortunate in that the head of CBC Sports at the time, his name was uh, Gordon Craig, uh, later founded TSN. He asked me if I would consider moving to Winnipeg so he could hire someone to take my job at uh, CBC Toronto who could do CFL play-by-play, uh, which I couldn't do, not a hope in hell. And he was hiring a much more experienced broadcaster. And so um, he made it sound like I was doing him a favor, but he was doing me a favor. And I, I, I moved to Winnipeg Christmas to 75 to replace the late, great Don Whitman mm. on the local sports. Uh, and I did local sports up until um, the late 80s, at which point I became the host of the CFL. I was working for Sports Weekend. It was a sports anthology show that ran every Saturday and sometimes Sunday on uh, on the CBC network. Um, so I was contributing to that show for many years. Then I became uh, uh, the host of the CFL on CBC. I did that job for about 10 years, and, uh, and, and I... Uh, think their their approach was well you weren't very good at that so maybe we should move you to hockey um so that's where i ended up uh and i've been full-time on hockey night in canada oh i guess now for some you know 25 almost 30 years what what do you remember about your your first broadcast at, at hockey night if you if you remember it or what's like kind of the first memory you have at working at hockey night um i had been hosting games for a long time uh but not as a full-time um, mm. hockey commentator, I guess. I was still doing local sports at the time. I don't really remember the very first one, but I can remember uh, the first game I did at the Montreal Forum uh, with Dick Irvin uh, mm. in the studio with me. Wow. And it was a huge thrill for me to be working with the legend Dick Irvin. And whatever it was we had to do on the air, I screwed it up totally. I think I was looking at the wrong monitor or something, or I wasn't looking at the monitor and he just pointed to the monitor to get me focused and uh, whatever mistake he made, he, he, he covered up for me. And, uh, you know, I, I just thought, uh, man, this, this guy is great. Well, I knew he was great, but uh, that, that would have been one of my earliest memories of hosting a, a, a Saturday night game on hockey night in Canada. And, and you've, you've hosted after hours for, for many years and, what for you, Scott, what what are some of the reasons that you think a show like After Hours works? Well, by the time After Hours comes on the air, we've already had six and a half hours of straight hockey talk. As I like to say, pucks on net with traffic mixed in, get pucks deep, etc. And I, I know those phrases are overused and they come in for you know a lot of criticism. And we don't hear them much now. Commentators are you know, uh, uh, much more or much better spoken than to rely on on the, those old uh, those those old uh, expressions. So, uh, but when after hours finally gets on the air, we have a chance at that point to learn something more about a player than just uh, his style of play and you know uh, what the team has to do to win, etc. All the stuff that you would talk about during a game, mm-hmm. we focus on after hours on on the guy's life. And uh, what's it all about? Who helped get in there? What his philosophy about uh, the game is and how to approach it, et cetera. And I think that for the most part, when that show was over, uh, we usually come away from it saying, or somebody will say, wow, I didn't know that before. 
Mm. Uh, that guy's interesting for whatever reason, reasons beyond the ones that you would get just from watching him play the game. And and how do you get the players to open up? Uh, as you mentioned with pucks and deep uh, hockey players are notoriously not the best interview. So obviously you have a bit more time with them, but how do you, how do you get them to come on? How do you get them to open up? Like what, what, what's your process for all of that? Well, I think you generally find if you're asking the typical hockey questions, for example, the walk-off interviews that are done at the end of each period, uh, they have to remain game focused for obvious reasons. You can't ask a guy to give you a confessional, you know, in the in the <laughs> minute, minute and a half you do to do, do those interviews. So those are those are game driven, uh, and players are used to those. Um, when you get a player in a format where he gets a chance to talk about his life, uh, you'd be surprised how eager they are to do it. And mm. We don't often, we, we have not often had someone on the show who's ever said, I'd, I'd rather not talk about that, or I'd rather keep it to the game, et cetera. And I'll, you know, we don't uh, get them on blind. Uh, they know they're going to be a guest. And um, and I will, and uh, our producers will research different topics during the week. And um, the morning of uh, the game, I usually will, for about two, three minutes, sit down with the player and say, these are the topics, not the questions, but these mm. are the topics that we might be talking about tonight. Um, so just, you know, in case there's anything that appeals to you in those areas, um, then feel free to bring it up. Uh, that's, you know, we're not preempting the show or, or, or giving him a hint as to what the questions, well, I shouldn't say that. Of course it's a hint as to what the questions will be, but if you don't, uh, spend that time with the player and and give him an idea of what the topics will be. It's pretty bad TV when you say to a guy, well, how about telling me a story about whatever? And he goes, well, I really can't think of one right now, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, so there is some preparation that, uh, that goes into it. Um, this isn't to say that they know all the questions, uh, but just things that they should be aware of so that uh, they, they have time to think about it. Then they, you know, the answer might be more interesting than it otherwise would be. Yeah, and and with that as well, you also have interviewed players after they're they they've won the Stanley Cup and all their glory and all the emotion. And I actually had Kyle Bukowskis on your your colleague who who talked about how he looked to you as almost inspiration and in how you approached doing Stan the post Stanley Cup Finals celebrations for you. How do you how did you, how do you approach those interviews? I the one that comes to mind is the one you had with T.J. Oshie. In, in back in 2018 when he talked about his father but just what's what how do you approach that and, and what has that been like for you just to interview players after they win the stanley cup well it's a good good i say a a, a good slice of canadiana usually those stanley cup celebrations I mean, mm. a lot of the players on stanley cup winning teams are canadian but that's not to say that we don't put as much research into talking to europeans or americans um, but what I always tried to do uh, in preparation for uh, the cup celebration interviews was to, you know, spend uh, spend some time researching, figuring out uh, where the guy's from, who helped get him there, etc. Um, you know, key moments in his career. The T.J. Oshie one was uh, just a, a function of uh, I'd known the story of his father uh, for a while. But uh, I, I looked at at it again uh, a couple of days before uh, they won the cup or had a chance to win the cup, just to make sure I had all the details right. And uh, you know, you take a chance and ask the guy the question, and 
he uh, had a very emotional answer. I try to do that with uh, with everyone that I would be speaking to, whether it's on after hours or in uh, the cup celebration uh, evenings. Mm-hmm. And with that, I, I know you, your family, and and you yourself have a very uh, cool and, and close relationship with Ryan Reeves. Uh, just tell us a little bit about about that kind of backstory of Reeves's kind of connection with you and your sons and and everything and and how fun is it or exciting is it for you to have him kind of in the NHL and interview him and have him on after hours and and maybe a bit more now that he's with Toronto you might have a couple more uh, of his games this year well only if they visit the uh the west where the second game is played right because I'm true. usually in the west for the second half of the of the Saturday mm-hmm. double header uh, but I, you're right. We've had Ryan on a number of times over the years. I would say uh, having Ryan on is uh, is a result of you have to give the people what they want because <laughs> he's so entertaining. Uh, when I'm talking to him, it's kind of like I'm talking to one of my own kids. Mm. So any pretense of, uh, of of journalism goes straight out the window. <laughs> it usually just ends up being uh, you know casual, sometimes you know buffoonery type con- conversation um bruce and darcy same age uh, roughly as uh ryan and his younger brother jordan they grew up across the street from from us uh ryan was always uh, around bruce and darcy he's a very close friend of both uh, mm-hmm. in this house all the time i come home sometimes and see yeah. a pair of size 15 shoes in the front doorway and wonder who's here? And it was Ryan because he had size 15 feet at the age of 14, 13 or 14. Um, so uh, he was like, he was part of our family. And as a mm-hmm. result, uh, you know, now there's this kid in the NHL that I watched grow up and was close to. Uh, it's pretty hard not to, uh, you know, let that relationship show through. And why not? I, do you even prepare for the interview? Do you just say, hey, I'm, I'm ready? There's I- no point in preparing for an interview with him. <laughs> um, and I don't think he prepares either. So you never know where it's going to go. Uh, but usually it's someplace that's uh, humorous. How excited are you for him to to be in Toronto? Because I, I don't think he's ever played for a Canadian team, right, too? Nope. Um, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Vegas. Minnesota. Rangers, Minnesota. Uh, I think that's his path. So, yes, his first time in Canada. Um I know Ryan uh, told me a number of times during the season he wanted to get another contract, and uh, he's got three years with the Leafs, so he's a commodity as far as they're concerned, and uh, and good on him. So uh, you know, I I think he'll uh, he'll be he'll be a a favorite in that market, as you know, tough guys always are. But yeah. uh, Ryan's got charisma and personality to go with uh, with the way he plays the game, and uh, yeah, he'll he'll be a will be a star there. Yeah. And, and with the mind to the fans. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I guess aside from, from Ryan for you, Scott, what's maybe the most memorable interview or just moment of your career for you personally? Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm asked that question all the time, but I've done so many interviews. It's hard to nail it down to one. I would say that some of the guests we've had on after hours stand out more than, than others. Okay. Um, but it would be in one of two venues. It would be uh, after hours, as I say, or uh, the cup celebration uh, interviews. The TJ Oshi one got a lot of uh, a lot of reaction because it was an emotional, real 
you know, visceral response by, by Oshi when I asked him the question. Um, but if I, if I think of after hours, I think the ones that I've really liked, uh, or remember more so than others, um, are the ones where people had, had messages, had a purpose. Mm. Uh, Brian McGratton would be one. Yeah. He's out of the hockey world now. I think Brian's, uh, in the finance world in, in Hamilton. He's moved back to Hamilton, but, uh, when he was working, uh, in, uh, uh coaching, uh, and tutoring young players, um with the calgary flames well as a player we had him on and then when he was in the second role uh after he retired as a player we had him on again and uh those were both compelling interviews as he laid it out as to uh, how addiction got the best of him and how he conquered mm -hmm. it and what what he was doing to pay it forward i think of chris snow the mm -hmm. assistant general manager of the calgary flames we've had him and his family on a couple of times as he continues to battle ALS. He was diagnosed with it in June of 19 and has exceeded uh, you know, uh, the, the time frame that uh, anyone with ALS is, has, has been given. Uh, he's been a source of inspiration in those uh, sessions with him and his family, got a lot of reaction. And then I, you know, Ethan Bear, we had on last year um, in Vancouver and uh, you know, uh, his recollection of uh, Growing up in a Chapaway and uh, um, in Saskatchewan, and uh, it's you know very memorable. So mm -hmm. those are three off the top of my head, but you know there've been so many that uh, I'm sure if I had a list in front of me, I could go down and pick out about ten or fifteen of them. This isn't to say that the show is the greatest thing ever, but um, it it is uh, a wonderful opportunity to be able to do it and to uh, to have people get their stories out there for you scott was there a moment where you felt because you've been doing interviews for so long that you felt this is like i feel comfortable i'm a natural or or kind of very like was there or, or did you always feel that way that it was very easy for you and comfortable or do you still feel a bit kind of nervous or how, like just tell us about that as someone who tries to interview people i i want all this the secrets well um like a lot of guys guys in this business and i've been in it for a long time i'm still driven by one thing and that is for people not to find out that i'm a phony that i don't really know what i'm doing okay um, yeah it's the old fake it till you make it and i think yeah. a lot of people would say the same thing a lot of people you know in the business my colleagues would, would admit to to say <laughs> to, to saying that you no know, i'm still faking it um i always am motivated by doing uh, a good enough show uh, in one particular week that I'll be allowed back the next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's as simple as that. Um, I never take anything for granted. Uh, the way I prepare um, is the same as it's always been. I don't take any shortcuts and I don't take it easy thinking, oh, this will be easy. I'll just, you know, just uh, bull my way through it. Uh, I've never done that. I don't think I'm good enough to be able to do that. So I, uh, I, I make sure I'm ready. And, uh, and I hope for the best. I was going to ask you about what advice would you have for, for young journalists coming up in the industry? You gave a little bit in just now for kind of uh, doing interviews, but what advice would you have for, for young sports media journalists that want to get in the industry? Well, uh, this is going to sound counter to uh, uh, the whole purpose of this interview, but uh, when I'm asked sometimes to speak to uh 
high school classes, et cetera. Um, I jokingly say this, but there's a tinge of truth to it is, uh, get a trade. Okay. You'll have a chance of getting a job. This is a shrinking industry and it's really hard to crack, really hard to crack. Once in a while, you'll find a guy like Kyle Bukowskis, who is so incredibly talented that, you know, he's got to be working in the business. Um, but there, there aren't a lot of opportunities. Uh, if you want to work on hockey night in Canada, you basically have to work for Rogers. Um, yeah. You know, and how many people can they hire? Uh, so there's that. Uh, getting a job is very, very difficult. But uh, be prepared to uh, to pay your dues. I think of Chris Cuthbert. Uh, you know, he's, I think he worked in radio in Yorkton and then in radio in Montreal. And then he took a job with CBC in Edmonton. So he saw the country uh, before, you know, he got to, to the uh, upper echelon of, of uh CBC Sports and eventually Hockey Night in Canada. Um, same for a lot of people. And my route wasn't exactly the same. I basically went from Newfoundland to mm-hmm. uh, to CBC Manitoba, where I've been ever since. Uh, but I'm in, in that way an exception. But my advice would be: be prepared to do whatever it takes, whether you get a job as um, a technician, uh, A2, you know, audio assistant, whatever it happens to be, get your foot in the door and, uh, work hard and, uh, and hope for the best, but, uh, with the knowledge that it's a tough, tough business to get into now. No, I, I mean, uh, a lot of people say that all the time about how tough the business is. So I think what you said is a good, good plan just to keep your options open. And uh, before I let you go, I have a couple fun questions. Well, I have one fun question at the very least. And that is, Scott, if you if today you were told that Gary Bettman's stepping down and now Scott Oak is now the new commissioner of the NHL, what rule would you change as kind of your first decree as a NHL commissioner? Uh, video offside. Okay. Oh, my God. Oh, that that rule was designed for um for the referee missing an obvious call like this far apart not this with a skate in the air and i know they've altered that slightly but those those uh reviews are interminable um plus when you have a couple in a game it means that because we have to be off the air at the bottom of the clock after hours window gets shorter and shorter. <laughs> so I have some self-interest in this. Yeah. Uh, you know, usually the games are uh, over at, uh, I don't know, quarter to 10 to the hour, and we can start the program at the top of the clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you get a couple of, re- of reviews like that, and it can take uh, take the game past the top of the clock, then the player's got to get showered. And anyway. Um, but that's not the only reason uh, I'm joking really about that. But on a serious note, um, it, there should be something to the effect of you got the referees have um, a minute to review the video. And if you can't figure it out, then then the call on the ice stands. And we yep. carry on because, it, you know, it's, it's human error. Mistakes happen. And they usually will even out in the end. But when you're sitting there for 10 minutes to see if the puck's across, well, uh, puck's across the line is a different story. But if we're keeping it offside, you know, was the skate in the air? And, uh, oh, just back it up and go ahead. And This angle shows it. That one doesn't. One minute, that's it. And then we carry on. Okay. That's the rule of the change. And, and with that, um, if uh, 
the Jets ever go on a long Stanley Cup run, kind of like in 2018, and then were to win the Cup, how excited or how how much do you kind of want them to win just being like a, a Manitoban for, for so long? How excited would you be for that? Well, I always say I like it when any Canadian team is doing well because it's good business for, for us. It's That's good true. for the country. Uh, and, you know, from a business point of view, it's obviously good for Rogers mm-hmm. who spent a lot of money on the rights. Pardon me. Um the Jets, because I live in Winnipeg and I've seen what they mean to the city, uh, I would probably be able to, you know, have a better understanding of exactly how that you know, plays out uh, in Winnipeg when when the Jets are on a run like they were in 2018. Um, that said, uh, I have to resist the temptation to cheer for them. I don't cheer for the Jets, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I'd, I'd like to see them, you know, make a long run in the same way I'd like to see Vancouver, mm-hmm. Edmonton, Calgary, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, same thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much, Scott, for doing this. I just want to give you the floor. I know, obviously, you have the the Bruce Oak Foundation. Is there anything you want to tell us about that and, and maybe what they're trying to do and everything uh, around that? Well, uh, you probably know that our uh, firstborn son, Bruce, died in 2011 of uh, an overdose. He had battled addiction for the last uh, four or five years of his life in a big way. Uh, Those years were that that, uh, terrible roller coaster of active addiction, recovery, relapse, active Mm -hmm. addiction, recovery, relapse. He wanted a better life. He fought for it. He uh, was in treatment four times uh, in detox, eight or nine times, but addiction grabbed hold of him and wouldn't let go. So when he died, we knew we wanted to do something. Um, We weren't sure how we would ever get this grandiose idea of a recovery center uh, named for him built. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we worked at it for um, seven, eight years. We finally got some traction. And in the next uh, three years, probably four years, uh, we died in 11 and we opened uh, the place in, uh, um, it opened in 21. So okay. uh, 10 years after he died. So for the first six, seven years, we were sort of spinning our wheels. Uh, but for the next uh, three to four years, we got a lot of traction, raised a lot of money, got the place built. It's been open now for, pardon me, for two years. It's a 50 bed uh, facility that has two cornerstones. One is uh, it's a it offers a continuum of care. It's a 16 week in residence program, but anyone who graduates from Bruce Oak has a counselor for life. And the second cornerstone is no one's turned away because they can't afford to pay. Money is often the single greatest barrier to treatment and recovery. Mm-hmm. So uh, you got no money, we'll find a way. Uh, place is full, uh, has been since almost since uh, the day it opened. Uh, we've got a waiting list of over 200, wow. um, active list of about 65 or 70. Those are the people who phone every day, desperate to get in so they can have their shot at recovery. Uh, those are the people that if you phone them now, they'd be there in half an hour, ready to start the yeah. program. Graduated, uh, Bruce Oak has graduated almost 200 men. That wow. means 200 men have gone back to their their families, their loved ones, their jobs, society in general. Uh, 60 uh, graduates of Bruce Oak have one-year chips, which is a significant date in the world of recovery. So it's working. It's working in a in a way beyond even what we thought possible when we started the, the entire project. We're very proud of it. 
but we always say that we don't need one Bruce Oak. We need nine or 10. Yeah. Uh, we started with this one and uh, it's succeeding. So we'll see where we get. Well, it's a fantastic cause and it's helping out so many people. So it's just amazing. And um, yeah, thanks so much, Scott, for, for taking the time and doing this. I really appreciate it. And I, I hope the best for you this upcoming year and uh, at Sportsnet and for the Bruce Oak Foundation. So thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Alex. Thanks for having me on.